you haven't, haven't seen our manger scene, which we bought two years ago in the Holy Land, made in the Holy Land by artists, it's back in the old baptistry in the old library. And take a look at it, because you might be inclined to ask as you're staring upon it, and it's worth asking the question, why did Jesus have to come in this particular manner? A baby in a manger. What is this? Was it necessary? If he was trying to establish a church and a kingdom on earth, it seems like there were much more efficient ways to go about it. For one example, why not, by mere act of his will, just wipe out everything that's not good and beautiful and true? Of course, then that also wipes out free will. We could never truly say that we loved God because you had to, or at least act like it, or you wouldn't exist anymore. Or why not come as a fully grown man and a great military leader and commander who conquers his enemies and establishes his kingdom? Then the example many would assume that he would have left behind is, might makes right. I can only imagine the horrible things that would have been done in the world by leaders who could point to Christ and say, well, Christ gave us the example. He did it, and we're supposed to be like God. We're made in his image, are we not? So there. If you ever have the chance, type into your search engine persons responsible for the most deaths in the 20th century. In one of the bloodiest centuries ever, there's all kinds of common names that you've heard before. Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, and bunches of names of leaders that I'm really not that familiar with. And between them all, they killed millions upon millions of people. What if they could have pointed to Jesus and say, well, that's the way he did it. And if I'm successful, he must be backing me. The history of the world could have been very, very different than it was. Now, bearing all this in mind, a person might want to ask, well, what about the church and her wars? And almost everybody says, well, look at the Crusades. You know, usually it's a, a gross misunderstanding of what the Crusades were and who actually put most of them on. But isn't it amazing that for a 2,000-year-old institution, we can only point to that. And few could come up with anything of the other wars to point at. And bearing in mind that much of the Crusades were done for political reasons, they were eventually rooted out and condemned from our practices. Why? Because Christ wouldn't condone this type of behavior. The theology of it could not be sustained. Because what is the example that he gave us? A conquering Messiah? No. A child in a manger. That's incredible. So when someone wants to conquer by forceful means and they want to do it in the name of Christ or his church, it either fizzles out or it's revealed for what it really is because a lie cannot be sustained in Christ's name. The devil always outs himself, as they say, eventually. Further, Jesus comes not as a military leader, but part of a family, making the family both the most fundamental and the most important building block of his kingdom. 
And all of us are not conscripted into his army or made vassals of his dictatorship, but his goal is to adopt us into his family, to make us brothers and sisters in Christ and sons and daughters of God. Do you hear that? Sons and daughters of God. And we go, yeah, I heard that one before. Thank you. But this is astounding that we would dare to say it. There are parts of the world and religions where you could be put to death for saying this because they think it's heresy. We are made sons and daughters of God. I was listening to a podcast about an American woman who went to a third world country to adopt a child that she had found out about. It was a place that did not place much value on girls, and particularly poor and low-caste girls. The orphanage was full of these children, and the government, for one reason or another, did not want them adopted outside of their country. But this woman knew of this child and worked tirelessly to bring her to the U.S. and raise her as her own. It took a lot, but she finally located where the baby was. And alone she fought the government and public outcries to get that child out of that country and in the horrid conditions in which she was and into a good home. A man on, in that country commenting on her doggedly determined efforts said of her, only the love of God could make a single American woman from a Christian country fight so hard for a low caste girl. We must be worth more than we know. And that's us. God fighting not to conquer us, but to adopt us working hard and diligently. We must be worth more than we know. And once you accept this, so much grace and love is available to you. On another podcast, it was the story about these two boys, once again, in another country who needed adoption and an American family adopted them. And they came from a country that was very, very poor, third world, and they did not celebrate Christmas. They knew nothing of Christmas. So they come to America, and daily, they are just amazed about what surrounded them. It was astronomical, far beyond their even imagining. There was an idea of a safe, spacious house. And they had a room to themselves with a bed and a yard with grass in it with such wonders as running water, clean, safe, temperature-appropriate water, reliable lights and electricity, automatic heat, automobiles. And after all of that, they had to introduce these boys to Christmas and Christmas lights and trees and cookies and Rudolph and carols. And each one of these things fascinated them more than the other. Their amazement knew no bounds. And after all of that, after being introduced to all of that for the very first time, why shouldn't be there a man who comes down your chimney and leaves presents? It's all just so staggering. And we are so accustomed to it. It takes an outsider to help us see how marvelous it all is. 
And even more disturbing is that we are accustomed to our adoption as sons and daughters of God, whose delights and graces makes all the joys of those adopted boys pale in comparison. Then why shouldn't there be a God who was born in a manger, lived and died for us, gives us in his inheritance, and loves us as if we are worthy of all that great love. It is so terrifyingly beautiful that I think as a culture, we're losing our nerve to believe it. It is so beautiful as to be terrifying. And I think that's why so much of our modern art is just so plain ugly. We are becoming afraid of the beautiful. It accuses us, telling us how beautiful things could be if we worked at it but aren't. So we take bananas to a wall and sell it for tens of thousands of dollars and take feces and smear it on a Madonna, a Madonna and call it art. Just two of the most prevalent things in popular culture, but there's a lot more. But thank goodness for the mercy of God that tells us to trust in holy beauty and to give ourselves over to it, to struggle, to strive for it, and be not afraid. For ultimately, it is by beauty that we will be saved. And if you want to know if you're on the right track, take a moment to contemplate a manger scene and see if your life is aligning with your family in that scene, if you are at home, for you have been adopted and given the name Christian. And if not, it's time to come home for the holidays. <laughs>